We come to the final of the parables that we're talking about in our study through Luke, and we find it in Luke chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 21, Luke 21, beginning in verse 29. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Pray with me. Father, may we heed your words this morning. May they as iron striking the hot steel from the furnace, molding it into the shape that you wish it to have. May your words strike. May they strike our hearts. And as hot steel, may we bend to your will. May we be impacted so by the word that it reshapes us, making us more and more like you. Use this time not only to bless us, but to change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is the final week of Jesus' life, and they are in the temple. He has chased out money changers and observed the sacrificial giving of a widow. He's challenged Pharisees and questioned scribes, leaving them so embarrassed that they dare not ask him a question again. Now... His disciples are enthralled with the size and beauty of the temple itself. And so begins the largest section upon which Jesus discusses the end times. He tells of the destruction of that magnificent temple, so much so that not one stone is left upon another. He tells them of coming wars and earthquakes and various signs from heaven. He instructs them how to deal with persecutions at the hands of kings and priests, governors and relatives, Hated by all, they must be willing to bear witness, but also willing to speak as God directs them in the moment. Then he tells them of the fall of Jerusalem, how people should be ready not to run to the city for safety, but to run away from the city into the mountains for refuge. It, as if making just a small step for him, he jumps forward millennia into the future, pointing to signs in the heavens and on earth that all precede his return in power and glory. It is not a time to back away, but to raise our heads in anticipation, for our redemption is drawing near. All these things might lead us to ask when, but Jesus doesn't concern himself to tell us when. Instead of bringing us a sending us a letter that says, save the date. He wants us to live our lives in expectancy, ready for him whenever he might come. So he teaches them through a parable to be ready. Luke 21, 29. And he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. 
Now, the fig tree is the first tree named in Scripture. Of course, uh, uh, Adam and Eve soon find out that does not make a very good pair of underwear, uh, fig leaves don't, because they are quite uncomfortable. Kind of funny that, that they would pick the worst leaf of all <laughs> to, to cover themselves, but, you know, so goes humanity, right? We make one mistake after another after another, and even us trying to correct mistakes, we end up making even bigger ones. That's just our nature. But the fig tree, even from the Garden of Eden, is there. Their prevalence and popularity is unmistakable. They're mentioned dozens of times throughout Old and New Testament. It was a, mis- it was a, a, a symbol of plenty. Early figs especially. Man, when those things, they are so, they get so ripe. So early in the season, you can walk under a tree and hold your mouth open and one will fall right into it. You hardly have to pick them at all. And boy, are they sweet. In fact, figs have pectin in them naturally. So if you make fig preserves, you don't have to add any. It's the, it's the only fruit that you don't even have to add anything to it. It's already perfect the way it is. It's in the nature of the fig, that early nature, that, that coming early that Jesus is pointing to. Uh, verse 30, as soon as they come out in leaf, as soon as you see the fig tree start to leaf, as soon as you see a little bit of green on that tree, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. There are signs to look for to indicate the change of seasons. Even now, if you go to my yard, you will find leaves on the ground in my yard. Now, I, I don't know if they, my trees just don't like me and they just want to cover my yard in leaves for half the year, but it's an early sign of autumn. I can count on it. In fact, they've already been there for like two weeks. So I've already begun to see that even though the temperature is 5,000 degrees outside, autumn is coming and a more bearable temperature is on the way. Not soon enough, maybe, but it's on the way. You see, we, we can look for signs of the seasons changing. And we know because of what we see. We know because leaves are falling off of trees that autumn is close by. That's exactly what the fig tree is symbolizing here. Exactly what Jesus is pointing to. He's saying, you see the fig tree start to have leaves, you know summer is on the way. Now this would be early on. It would still be a while before it comes. But we know it's coming. Because we see the signs of the times. That's the fig trees, almond trees also are the same. They, they, they leaf very early in the year. In fact, the almond tree, uh, the name in Hebrew for almond tree is very close to the name for watch. And so it's the watching tree, if you will. Because as soon as the almond starts to bud, you know that's the first sign. Likewise, Jesus tells us there are warning signs for the kingdom of God. Verse 31, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Well, what things? Well, the signs surrounding his return. All of them point to the nearness of God's kingdom. In one sense, we can already see the kingdom. After all, Jesus preached the coming of God's kingdom and pointed to himself as its initiator. He calls out people uh, in Matthew 4, 17. He's just walked out of the desert, just being tempted by Satan and defeating Satan. He says, Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is really far away. No, it's at hand. And so there is an aspect in which God's kingdom is near. Here is the kingdom, he says. And he comes bringing the kingdom, healing the blind and the lame. He comes making the mute speak and the dead rise. He comes 
feeding thousands with a sack lunch and giving a Samaritan woman everlasting water. He comes bringing God's kingdom to life on earth. Even as He teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. You see, in a sense, the kingdom is already here. But in a sense, it's not quite here. Sin still reigns. Amen? We're still captive to lustful thoughts, angry words, jealous motives. We're still enslaved by pride and arrogance. We're still unable to fulfill God's law on our own. (laughs) We're trying to cover ourselves with the worst kind of leaf. We're still victims of a nature that fights tooth and nail against God's will. It's this limbo that we find ourselves in today. This already, but not yet. This, this, the kingdom has come, but it's not quite fully in place. And we recognize that. Turn on the news and you'll see it. We, we can decry because hundreds of thousands of people are enslaved all in the world today. And many of them are women and girls that are enslaved just because of their bodies. We, we, we hurt and are distraught over millions who go malnourished because they just don't have access to enough food. Or those who don't have clean water and so they have to drink water riddled with bacteria. We're burdened knowing that people are killed because they dare oppose or even question a tyrannical ruler. Our world is far from perfect. It's that kingdom has not quite come, not in its fullness, but we already begin to see signs. Our redemption is drawing nearer. Now, I don't know how near. Jesus does not tell us that. But what he does tell us is to be ready. Are are you ready, by the way? Are you ready? We know it's going to happen. Verses 32 and 33. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This generation, Jesus is speaking more broadly than what we think of as a generation. We think of a generation and it's baby boomers or it's Gen Z or something like that, right? Millennials. That's what we think of as generation. This word has the idea of a large group of people over a long period of time that all have similar characteristics. What he's saying is a class of people. People who follow Him. That generation will not be done away with. It will not pass away. It will not perish before everything is completed. And then that great promise, His words will not pass away. A, because they're true. And B, because there's always someone to proclaim them. So if we wish to sum up the parable of the fig tree, we might might say Jesus' point this way. Watch out for the signs. The fig tree shows us that the signs are there and are visible to anyone willing to look. Just as the fig tree warns us that summer is near, so we need to look for the signs that Christ is near. And more than just watch out for the signs, we need to be ready. You see, we know He's coming. The question is, will we be ready? And that's the theme Jesus picks up in verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. So not only are we to watch out for the signs, we are to watch out for ourselves. Why? Because we can be caught unprepared if we're distracted. Look at verse 34 again. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation 
and drunkenness. I had to look up dissipation. Anybody know what dissipation is? I had to look this up. It's, it's the hangover you experience after you've been drunk. I've never been drunk, so I don't know. I don't know what that's like. But my understanding is that hangovers are not exactly high on the list of fun things to do. Um, I imagine they're not conducive to you being alert. You cannot watch out for yourself or for Jesus, for that matter, if you're too busy being drunk. But that makes sense, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Like, like we can all get, okay, all right, I need, I need to be sober, okay, right? But Jesus doesn't stop there. Look what else he says. He says, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. You see, I bet, I bet this one affects us a lot more than, the, than dissipation and drunkenness. I hope it affects us a lot more. Um, cares of this life, it's so easy to get caught fighting the fires of the day. It's so easy to get caught with the trouble that's right in front of you. And you spend all your time just dealing with this one problem that you really lose the time to do what matters most. I get that. I've been there. It's easy to get stuck in the mire and spinning your wheels, just not getting any traction, just flinging mud all over the place. It's, it's easy to get lost in the care of whatever it is and lose sight of the eternal. If you don't believe me, ever had a headache? Try to read with a headache. Mild, maybe you get something. Maybe you read a little bit. But man, you get that migraine starting, that tension headache, and it hurts just to breathe. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You have those kinds of headaches. Guys, uh, uh, Mitchell, Kelsey, James, y'all ever worry about a test? Yeah, yeah. You ever get really worried about a test? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, adults, y'all ever get worried about a change at work? Oh, you got a new boss starting Monday. We're going to change the computer system. You want to you wanna watch. You want to watch somebody's blood pressure skyrocket. You just say new computer system in an office. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter how you use the computer. Just the fact that something is changing and you know it's going to be bad. I was working for Regions Bank when we merged with AmSouth. Um, and we took AmSouth system. And so all Regions branches had to change over to their system. And we did it on the best day possible. Friday the 13th. Who comes up with this? And corporate was so smart. You know what they did? They had the two biggest states convert first. Don't don't let the small places where you can figure out what's wrong and then roll it out. Don't do that. No, 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 no. Put it square in the center of your footprint. Make Alabama convert <laughs> when you got more branches in Alabama than any other state. I'm telling you, man, it was a bad day. It was bad enough just preparing for it, but man, that day, we knew it was going to be bad, and it was bad. No wonder blood pressure goes up when a new computer system comes in. And it doesn't even have to be that bad. It can just be, okay, we've got a new way of doing this. Or here's a project that you've never had to work on before. Congratulations, you're being promoted. Here's the new responsibilities that you have. Oh my. You see, sometimes we get caught up in the cares of the life and not necessarily always bad cares, but just the things that happen around us and we can get so blinded by what's directly in front of us that we miss what's beyond it and what matters most. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't pay any attention to anything going on around you. Don't do that. 
but put it in its proper place or else you won't be ready. You'll be distracted. If, you, if you're too busy worrying about what's here, you're not going to be looking up here. Everything we do, whether it's at home or at work or at play or at church, ought to demonstrate the life of Christ within us. And it ought to also demonstrate that we are ready for Christ to return. doesn't mean we don't focus on the things that are happening here. But it does mean that we always deal with them in light of who he is and what he is doing. Jesus continues in verse 35, For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. You know it's coming, and nobody's exempt. So what should we do? Verse 36, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape these things that are coming to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He tells us two or three things. It's, it's three things, kind of. It's two, two things, but three things. Okay? First thing he says, but stay awake. you got to stay awake. If you're going to watch out for yourself, you've got to stay awake. The word for stay awake here is actually a negative command. Don't sleep. Now, it doesn't mean never sleep. It means don't be asleep when it regards these things. Don't get caught napping. It has the idea of keeping yourself awake. Not, it's, it's not just insomnia that you can't help. It's not that you're trying to take medicines and trying to get to sleep, but you can't. This is the idea of one who is vigilantly trying to stay awake, to make sure they are ready. You think about parables that Jesus told. There was a parable of, of wedding. Uh, the bridegroom has not come yet, and there's these ten virgins, and they, they have their oil, and some of them are ready. They stay awake, they keep their lamps trimmed, they have plenty of oil, so when the word comes, they are ready to go. But the other five are scrambling around saying, we don't have oil, our lamps have gone out, what are we going to do? Well, they got to go buy oil, and when they go buy oil, they find themselves locked out because they weren't ready. We hear this time and time again, this be ready, be ready, be ready. And part of that means staying awake. It's, it's making sure you're always alert. Keith Green criticized American Christianity in the 70s, and he's absolutely right to. The words still apply. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. It's, it's our biggest problem in the West in Christianity. It's, it's too many people in the pews snoozing rather than searching. We've allowed ourselves to buy into a false Christianity that is merely comfortable and not convicting, merely social and not sacrificial, merely performing and not reforming. It's time for us to heed the command of Christ to the Corinthian church. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. 1 Corinthians 15.34 It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. We cannot watch out for Christ if we are asleep. Not only do we need to wake up, we need to pray for strength. Pray for strength. First, to escape. Praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. When he says to pray for strength, Jesus is telling us to pray for victory. Oh, victory in Jesus. You want to really hear that song? I'll, I'll take you to a place almost on the Alabama-Mississippi line, that in Mobile County. It's called the Mission of Hope. You'll see former drug addicts that have actually experienced the victory in Jesus. They can't sing a tune worth a flip 
But man, they can sing that song. Every time I hear it, I wish I, wish I could hear it again there because they know what that victory really is. See, we're praying for victory. We don't pray just to endure suffering. We pray to overcome suffering and we pray to overcome it through the suffering. Not just to escape away from it, but to make it through. Jesus is not giving victory to those who are running away. He's giving victory to those who are enduring and persevering and making it to the very end. Pray for victory. Pray for the strength to escape, to come through. This is the same one, by the way, who, remember, he says, in the world you will have tribulation. Yeah, it's coming. But take heart. I've overcome the world. You see, there is... If he can overcome the world, can't we trust him to help us overcome too? We're to stay awake and we're to pray for strength. This is why I I said this is kind of two, kind of three, because we're praying for strength, but we're praying for it in two ways. Not only the strength to escape, but we're also praying for the strength to stand. The end of verse 36, and to stand before the Son of Man. Just as we pray for victory that we that can only be won in Christ, we're also to pray that we might stand before Christ. It may seem an odd thing to pray for, but who is it that stands before Christ in the judgment? Well, all of us do, but all of us don't stand for very long. Who are the ones that keep standing? Who are the ones that remain? We are to pray for the victory that will allow us to stand before the presence of God, and that only comes to those who are righteous, righteous because of Christ's redeeming work. Jude concludes his letter with a doxology. It's one of my favorite passages. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Only Christ can present us blameless before God. Only He can enable us to stand before God and not be rejected, not be subject to the just punishment for our sins. Only Christ. Jesus is coming, church. Jesus is coming. Watch for the signs. Watch out for yourselves. Father, I pray this morning as we approach this invitation, that that we are ready, that we know that we're ready and that we're willing to stand before You in complete confidence that we are ready for Your return. God, we're not ready because we have done great things. We're ready because You have done great things. We're ready because You have made us righteous. You have taken our sins and borne them on Your shoulders and paid the price for them. You have redeemed us. Our righteousness is filthy rags, but Your righteousness is enough to make us stand before God in holiness, knowing that God, God sees us for who You are. So Father, I pray this morning that we would be ready, that we would know that we're ready for You. I pray for the victory that will enable us to stand, to make it through the troubles that are ahead. Keep us awake. Father, for those who don't know You this morning, I pray that You would do the work in their heart and show them that it's only by Your Son that we can be redeemed. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, will we be forced to bow in that day? Or will we bow today and surrender our hearts, our lives, our sins, our accolades, everything? 
when we surrender them to you. Lord, I pray today is the day for someone. For those who know you, maybe, maybe they haven't been living for you. Maybe they've been caught up with the cares of this life. Maybe they've been drunken in the sense that they've been distracted. They've been pulled away from your work. God, would you draw them near? Would you call them back? Bring them to the place where they are ready for you. Lord, this is your time. You're bidding us come. So may we come and follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.